Hey, Honest to Dog listeners, this is Tim, the producer of Honest to Dog Podcast. Ontario is in another lockdown as a part of the third wave of coronavirus, COVID-19. So we're doing a rerun. Uh, the one about the walk is a fantastic episode. Hope you enjoy it. And as always, dig back through our catalog. We have a ton of episodes. We will be back with new episodes before too long. We're going to figure out a way to record remotely where it's safe for everyone. Until then, enjoy. Hello and welcome to Honest to Dog. I'm Liz Foley, head trainer and CEO at The Dog House, and with me today, I have my co-host, Jeff Gadway. Hello, Liz. I am really excited to be here today. This topic is a doozy, so important, and yet often overlooked. It's really important, so I'm glad we're talking about it now. Today, we're talking about the walk. The walk, the walk, the walk is so pivotal. It's like the cornerstone of a good foundation with your dog. So what are we going to cover today, Liz? We're going to talk about why the walk is so important, what most common errors are that people deal with on their walks, and keys to success. Love it. So somebody at the end of today, they're going to be able to understand if their walk is a good walk, a bad walk, if it needs work, and what they might be doing right, what they might be doing wrong, and how to fix it, which is like the holy grail. Exactly. And you you cover the walk in your group training class. It's like a full class or two classes two classes so we're taking three hours of content and we're gonna compress it down into a tight little 28 minute podcast that's the plan that's the plan that's the goal but you know there's a lot here let's start by talking about why the walk is so important you know as a dog trainer why do you believe the walk is so fundamental and pivotal to building a strong relationship with your dog? Firstly, migration is really natural for dogs. Dogs in the wild would hunt as a pack, leave their territory, go find food, and then return. So when we're doing that with our dogs, it's almost like ritualistic. It's uh. very instinctual to them. Also, as a trainer, I like to look at the walk because it tells me a lot about someone's relationship to their dog, who's really in charge, right? Does the leader provide structure, guidance? Is the dog trusting the human? Do they respect the human? Mm -hmm. So if the walk is not perfect, per se, that tells me a lot about the relationship. It's interesting. You you brought this up before we hit record on, on this episode, and you were kind of saying that looking at the walk is kind of like looking at body language between a couple. You can tell very quickly whether that couple's tuned in on the same page, engaged with each other, just by looking at you know the position of the dog relative to the human, what's happening with the leash, all those types of things. I think that's very fascinating, very telling. Exactly. What are some of the other reasons why the walk's important in terms of fulfilling a dog's needs, for example? We know that exercise, discipline, and affection is really important for our dogs, and so is pack leadership. So if you think about a walk, there's only two positions for you and your dog to fill on that walk. One of those positions is leader, the other is follower. And so when I see people on walks with their dogs, oftentimes the dog is in front, hence the leader, and whoever is behind is following. We need to reframe that. Really, our dog should be beside or behind us on our walk so that we are fulfilling that role of leadership for them. Mm. So Liz, I've heard you talk about the walk as kind of being a bit of a silver bullet, that it fulfills both physical and mental needs for a dog. Can you talk a little bit about that? Unpack what that means. Most people assume that a walk just fulfills their dog's physical needs because it's exercise. And I totally understand that. And it does. But it does so much more than that because 
if we have rules, boundaries, limitations, where we make the walk structured, then we're actually asking our dogs to concentrate mentally. And so what I mean by rules, boundaries, limitations is, for instance, on my walk with my dogs, the rule is no pulling on leash. A boundary is you walk beside me, you don't cross in front. And then the limitation is how long the walk is and the direction in which we're going and where and when you can relieve yourself. Does that make sense? It does. It makes total sense. So, you know, the walk is about more than just allowing your dog to expend its energy. It's really about engaging its whole its whole being. Yeah, and, and being connected as a team. Most mm. of the time, their dogs are disengaged from them just as much as they are from their dog. People are on their phones, they're distracted, they might be listening to music, and the dog is equally as distracted just going from one thing to the next, sniffing, licking, just totally in another zone. And so when I see dogs like that too come home from a walk, oftentimes they're not actually tired. They have like zoomies after because they're so energized from and adrenalized from the walk itself. You know, we talked about why the walk is so important to dogs, but why can the walk be so important to humans as well in terms of providing them with an outlet? Here's what I mean. There have been times where I've had a frustrating day or I know you've experienced some challenges and, you know, oftentimes one of us will say to the other, let's leash up the dogs and take a walk. Like it almost for humans is an ability to move forward or move through something. Does that make sense? 100%. It's because dogs help us to connect to the moment and to nature. And I think that's why we like to have dogs in our homes because we've become so far removed from that element of life. We're so not instinctual and dogs bring that us back to that. When you're on a walk, really, all you can really focus on is being in the moment, like your breath, each step, one in front of the other, just making things simple. Dogs make things really, really simple when we live in really complicated worlds. It's going back to instinct in mm -hmm. a sense. So. What's the flip side of this? If we don't have a good walk, a structured walk that adheres to the best practices and principles we're going to talk about, what? how does that manifest itself in maybe undesirable behaviors or uh, a fractured relationship between dog and owner? A dog who takes the leadership position on walks is taking a dominant position in the pack. Majority of people don't own dominant dogs they own more submissive dogs. And so they actually require a leader. So when we have a dog who's not meant for leadership, assume that role, they are put under stress. And so they make poor choices. So say we have a very sensitive dog that we're allowing to walk in front on walks, that sensitive dog might be startled by things like a bus going by or child on a skateboard or another dog and choose to go into a fight state. So try to attack it. Anytime your dog is in front of you on leash, they're in a protective position, but also they're in prey drive versus if they're beside you, they're in pack drive. So prey drive promotes things like hunting protective stances. So they're going to interpret everything around them as a threat because they're so sensitive and they're going to make poor judgment calls and overreact to things. Outside of that, not even just on the walk, you would see that. You'd probably see that in the home too, being either over exuberant um, when company comes over or territorial, not allowing people in the space, things like that. That makes so much sense. I, that just it, It's like a light bulb moment, I think. Connecting the dots between some of the things that maybe listeners are seeing in the home and, and being really honest with themselves and going, oh, you know what? My dog does walk in front of me on the walk. And, and maybe that 
you know, can be a bit of a root cause, or as we'll talk about, maybe one of the ways that they can address some of those problem behaviors. It could even be little things too, where the dog, because it assumes a leadership position, starts controlling things over the owner. So controlling space or toys or food. So they might think that they control the food. So if someone goes to pick something up off the floor, they might attack the owner. Because again, they're like, no, I'm actually pack leader outside world or inside the house, I'm in control of everything. You are coming up on your 30th group class really soon. Congratulations, it's huge. And that means that you're going to have trained, you know, over 300 clients just through group alone, not to mention through the doghouse, through private training, other sessions. So you've seen a lot of different walks between dog and owner. What are some of the most common errors that you've seen, you know, seeing hundreds of walks and hundreds of dogs. So what most people do, anytime they start the walk with their dog, they promote excitement. And so what, go for a walk? yeah, exactly. They, where's your leash? Come on, you want to go for a walk? And they, they create, they like this match and then they don't understand how that equates to their dog being out of control on the actual walk. And so why that's so important is in our homes, we're creating excitement, we're putting on the leash, and then we go to open the door, take them out into the real world, and it's so much more distracting. There's so much more going on that then perpetuates that excitement further and further and further. The excitement level just builds, and then we don't know how to stop it and control it. We shouldn't be creating excitement to start at all. So we're associating the leash with excitement, and then the walk becomes this snowball effect of just energy that builds and builds. That's really interesting. I bet there are people listening right now who are saying to themselves, man, my walk could stand to see a lot of improvement. And they're thinking about when they're halfway down their walk and their dog is pulling on leash and they haven't gone to the extent of like tracing it back to Mm -hmm. the moment that they get up off the couch and say to their dog, you want to go for a walk? And then grab the leash and go through the door. So actually that brings up another point. Talk about doorways and the role or the importance of kind of controlling doorways and and maybe the the error that a lot of people mistake around around doorways. So the other thing a lot of people do is once the leash is on, they open the door and they allow the dog to go through first. That's automatically allowing your dog to take the leadership position. Mm. A leader goes first. We're just setting up the failure right then and there that we're setting the tone that you're in control of this walk. Even if people are doing, no, 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 like I control doorways, I ask the dog to wait, I open the door and then I go out. The other thing people usually do is they tell the dog to wait, wait, wait. They open the door, they creep out and then they say, wait one more time. And then they tell the dog, okay, let's go. And then again, we've just triggered excitement. So again, lighting the match. Mm. And you don't need words when your dog's attached to you physically using a leash so we can totally take away words they don't understand english anyways it's associations (laughs) honestly if you can start your walk in a calmer state personally and then refrain from using words you would see a very very different walk so we've talked about creating excitement we've talked about doorways what about leashes or or training tools like what's their role in the walk how do you how do you approach that with clients I recommend and use through our training a slip lead, but... What, what is a slip lead, just for people who might not be familiar with it? So a slip lead is a very, very simple tool where it's one continual rope that kind of loops into a collar. It's a leash and collar in one. Hmm. Any training tool that you'd want to use on a, on a walk for training how to do a perfect walk 
A training tool applies pressure and then release. So it's a form of communicating through the leash to the dog what expectations are. Another example is a martingale collar, a prong collar, things like that. A halty is also a training tool and a common one too that's used. But flat collars and harnesses are not training tools. And if anything, a lot of the time collars sit really low on the neck and an actual harness is on the body. And so both of those things promote the body to pull. It's like putting a yoke on a... I don't oxen. know what that is, but sure. Yeah. You remember the Oregon Trail? Remember that? No, um, you're older than me. <laughs> by like a couple of years. But a yoke is what, you know, farmers put onto an ox to pull a cart or something like that. So okay, well, you, I, yeah. like a husky. you're attaching, you're attaching uh, something to the strongest part of the dog. Exactly. You're literally harnessing their body strength right. against your bicep. Right. Whereas where should a leash ideally sit in order to be most effective as a training tool or a collar, sorry, leash or collar? It should be right up high on the neck. That's a very sensitive spot, which actually allows you to use way less pressure for communication. Mm. So this is the other thing. People hold the leash wrong to begin with. They do the death grip. Um, I was going to call it something else, but we're trying to make this kid friendly. (laughs) Um, Where they wrap the leash around their hand numerous times and then they white knuckle it and they're bracing and expecting the dog to pull. So they're already not trusting their dog. They're already communicating tension through the leash. Mm. If we move where the collar is sitting on the neck from low down to way high up, we're going to communicate instead to the brain and not the body. And then we can be way more subtle with our cues. So I actually tell clients, you should be holding the leash with fingertips only. If you're nervous about that, you put your hand through the handle in, say, your left hand, and then you would just hold with fingertips closer to your dog, so shorten up on that leash. But then you have your right hand, your left hand as your backup, your right hand as just to be able to guide mm, your dog. More with, nuanced. Yeah, and... Yeah. And it's, it's so much, if you're using an effective tool, it's placed in the right spot. You can be really, really conscientious of when you're applying pressure to communicate to your dog. It's like learning a dance. Leash work, it, it comes over time. It comes with repetition. You might not think it's that serious, but it makes such a difference in your relationship to your dog. Less is more when it comes to leashes. That's Kinda what I like always say. What I've come to learn in really getting serious about my golf game is that one golf instructor told me, you, know, you want to hold your golf club in, in your hand about as, as hard as you'd hold a dove in your hand. I know when you've challenged me to evaluate how hard I'm holding the leash, I realize that I'm applying way more pressure than I even realized that I was. And so just becoming more conscientious and intentional about how I'm using that leash to communicate to the dogs makes a huge difference in terms of you're getting them to do exactly what I want. And and too, if you think about it, your palm is not as sensitive than your fingertips. So if you're holding a really tight leash in, the, in your palm, you're not going to feel the slightest little change in your dog's energy or body position. But if it's in your fingertips, you start to feel everything. Mm, I love that. I love that. So we've talked about some of the most common issues that you've seen as a trainer when it comes to people in their walks with their dogs. Let's talk about some of the keys to success and let's do this a little differently. Explain to me kind of chronologically what the perfect walk would look like from the time that you as the owner set the intention and decide I'm about to go on a walk. Walk me through what the picturesque or textbook walk would look like in your mind. Say we're starting with a puppy. I would already have the dog in its crate. I wouldn't say anything. To the dog I would go get its leash um, maybe suit suit up myself and go over 
open the crate, wait for the dog to be calm in that space, not rush forward, leash up the dog and remove them from the crate, bring them towards the door, put them in a sit, have them wait until I'm fully ready for going out, open the door, have the dog hold a sit and wait, make sure that I can open and close that door numerous times without the dog getting out of a sit. Um, Because a lot of the time, because we've done so many associations with excitement around doorways, even with words removed, that that doorway still is an association with excitement. It's a trigger. Exactly. And so I would just make sure opening and closing the door, playing with the doorknob, that the dog can still concentrate on me and with calmness. So sit and give eye contact is a really good indication that it's not going to bolt through the door. We're not going to see excitement. If I can do that, then I would open the door, move through, and have the dog follow after me. That's setting them up for a perfect walk. And then what about on the walk? You kind of alluded to this before, but you know, as you're going you know, from the house on the path that you're going, what should that look like? What should that feel like? You want to make sure that every step you take with your dog, they need to be in a calm, submissive state of mind in order to follow you. An excited dog won't follow. An anxious dog won't follow. So they have to be calm, submissive in order to stay beside us and checked in. So I tell my clients, and after we've covered doorways and how to do set up the walk, when you actually start your walk, guess what? If your dog goes to step in front of you, you're going to stop and put them in a sit. You might not get very far at all. And I tell them, I don't care. If you invest an hour into your walk and you get to the corner and that's it, that's still a quality walk. I don't care about how many steps you got or how many miles in. I want to make sure that every step you took, the dog didn't get in front of you. Quality over quantity, I guess, mm-hmm. is what you've said before. You have options. You can stop, put the dog in a sit, or you can change direction on them. Either way, they're never moving forward in the direction that they want with an excited energy. We, we keep them on their toes. We're keeping them checked in, and we're setting a really clear boundary. And that's what we have to teach them to start. You can't just leash up your dog. And this is what I think everybody thinks they can do. Like leash up my dog. I'm going to walk them to the store. I'm going to get a coffee. I'm going to walk back. If you are training your dog how to walk, that's setting a very high expectation. You have to teach it first. So I tell clients, don't have a destination in mind at all. Just invest the hour. Make sure you're doing it consistently, setting that boundary. I love that. And now... So we've been on our on our walk, we've enforced that boundary, we've been the leader for the dog with the dog beside or behind, we're getting back to the house. What should the end of the walk look like? The exact same as the start of the walk. So you walk up the stairs in front of your dog, you make sure they sit, give eye contact before re-entering into the house, because otherwise if they enter in front of us, we're saying, even though I owned the walk, you own the house. And I know that Ty and Baker don't contribute to our mortgage. So they 100% do not (laughs) own this house. Um, So they have to be respectful and wait after us to enter. Is that it? Is that the end? No. (laughs) Removing the leashes on the inside. So two, it's not a bad idea to have the dogs be patient and wait on the inside when you undress um, and take their leashes off and coats and jackets and boots if it's that time of year. And then your dog should actually eat. So eating at the end of the walk is a really nice paycheck for a job well done. And it goes back to that migration point that you talked about at the beginning where dogs, when they're hiking as a pack, because dogs travel in packs, 
they're they're migrating usually to find food and then they have a, a kill or whatever or they find whatever they're looking for and they they eat and then they sleep rest. they digest <laughs> right rest and digest yeah what's really interesting about all of that a theme that i think cuts through the prep the walk and the follow through is patience right right from the very beginning when you said you know, waiting for your dog to be calm before you open the crate, before you let them out. I feel like that's probably, and, and keep me honest here, but probably one of the most common errors. People are like, oh my gosh, I got to get to work. I've got eight to 8.52 to walk my dog. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Heck, even this morning when I was trying to get, you know, to my office, I know I was in a little bit of a rush getting the boys to come with me. So what would you recommend to people in order to be more intentional and, and patient with setting up the walk for success? We all have the same amount of hours in a day. You can make it work for you. How we frame and think about things really matters too. If you wake up and you're like, I have to walk the dogs today. That's not fun. Like you're, you're putting this negative association. I have to do this. I have to go to work. I have to make breakfast, whatever. Instead, and you can change the the vocabulary around it is today I get to mm. today I get to walk my dogs today I get to to go to work I get to eat I get to you know make money Be outside yeah. yeah so changing that framework also like wake up earlier and and give yourself some time for you is really important because I think it's how you spend like your first 10-15 minutes a week really can set your day up for yeah. success so if you wake up and do something in a rush state or that you don't want to do, it's going to impact you negatively versus if you wake up and you do something for you. So even if you get up earlier, you read for a bit before taking the dog out or you have a coffee and sit quietly or you meditate and then take the dogs out, then you're going to be more intentional with how you interact with your dog and in a calmer space slow things down that's like the biggest thing you can do in dog training and to become more calm is do things slower we are in this super fast-paced world where everything should have been done yesterday our dogs don't understand that so if we can just force ourselves to slow down we will become more patient here's a hypothetical for you if let's say you have allocated an hour for your walk right would that time better be spent like more time kind of on the road doing the walk or spend 10 minutes at the beginning to be very intentional and slow with ensuring the dog is calm, putting the leash on, having that positive interaction at the door, going down the steps, and then five minutes at the end doing kind of the reverse like you talked about. And maybe you only get 45 minutes outside versus, you know, spending... 57 minutes of it on the street. Yeah, no, for sure. And I tell my clients that if you have an hour and it takes your dog half an hour to calm down inside the home to then put the leash on, that's part of the walk. Right. It all starts inside the house and it needs to be associated with calmness. And how you do it the first time is going to take the longest, but then every time after that will get shorter and shorter and shorter because your dog is learning a new normal. I just had a light bulb moment. Oh, good. What you just said. It's about reframing what we think of the walk as, right? I think even for me, I think of the walk as the time that I spend out on the street with the dog. But if I change my my mindset and say, no, the walk is the whole process from that moment that I get up to go and get the leash to the moment that 
the dog is removed from the leash inside the house, that whole thing is the walk. Mm -hmm. If I think about that and I want to make the walk as a whole a very positive experience, that totally reshapes how I approach it. Again, it's that notion of is it more physical or is it more mental? You will get a way more tired dog if you try to mentally drain them. You can mentally drain them by getting them to check in, slow down, be calm. So a more disciplined walk, which is making sure they're calm before going out, making sure they stay in a nice heel on your walk, making sure they follow you through doorways, that burns more mental energy than any sort of physical. That's a really interesting point. I wanted to bring this up or come back to this. I see a lot of people, or I know a lot of people, I'm sure worth probably thinking of the same people, who when they go out and walk with their dog, they're like on a mission. It's like they're a speed walker through a, through a mall, right? What I've come to realize, at least in my experience, is my dogs actually get more from the walk if I slow them down and mm-hmm. challenge them in that way. Do you have any advice on kind of tempo or pace of walk? Really, you should be setting the pace. And I am a big fan of slow walks because, again, be slow, be mindful, be intentional. Um, And again, it makes your dog think harder. So even playing around with speed, walking at your normal pace, and then slowing way down. So I call it like an old man's shuffle. And if you do that, like that really exhausts Ty, who he does want to go go, 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 go. He wants to be fast. And so asking him to slow down and do the complete opposite is way more tiring to him. Also, like we've had to be kind of creative because we've had two tripods, two dogs missing two, one leg each. And so we can't run them. We can't just be like, hey, go burn all your energy physically. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that they're more mentally drained. So we've become kind of like wizards with how to tap dog's energy out quickly through more mental stimulation and more variability i think is your point too keeping things fresh instead of just going okay i'm gonna go and take an hour walk and we're gonna do high pace the whole time you know it's just it's like it's like monotony right well even think about someone who's really anxious who paces a lot that's a lot of movement it doesn't go anywhere it's not right? it's it not almost, like they're getting exercise not like yeah. good movement yeah and it almost like builds it up and up and up and up um versus if we slow things down it just it helps us to check in and our dogs to check in with us big takeaway though is humans should be in charge of the pace I think we covered most of the topics here, Liz. We talked about why the walk's important. We talked about some of the most common challenges people uh, encounter with their walks. And we've talked about what the ideal walk looks like from end to end, from slowing things down to making sure that the human is always in the leadership position. Anything else you want to touch on on walks before we wrap this one up? No, I just really hope that this episode helps people because the walk is such a crucial focal point of the relationship to our dogs. So I'd love to hear feedback. Yeah, give us a drop us a comment uh, on uh, on Apple Podcast or uh, on the website, and let us know how your walk's going, both pre and post episode. We'd love to hear it, or even better, actually, I have a better idea. Why don't you take a short video of your walk before yes. and after, and post it to Instagram and tag honest to dog podcast we would love to see it and maybe if liz is feeling a little bit generous with her time she could even give you a couple pointers or some feedback i'm a pretty generous girl you are a pretty generous girl (laughs) well that's it for another episode of honest to dog thanks jeff thanks liz see you next time thank you for listening if you like what you heard hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review we'd love to hear from you have an idea for a topic you haven't heard yet from us drop us a comment on our instagram page 
We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast.